Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining me now is retired United States Army Major General Jim Boozer, uh, the Executive Vice President of the National Defense Industrial Association that annually hosts the SOFIC Conference and Trade Show in Tampa that this year convened in person for the first time since 2019, uh, the leading gathering of special operators from around the planet and across the country. Jim, uh, great to reconnect. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and uh I'm, we're catching you at the end of what was a very successful, if very different, Sophic. As you can imagine, you look across the globe and we live in this very, very complex environment. The theme for this year's Sophic, I think, was so very, very appropriate. Campaigning with partners for integrated deterrence. This theme rang true throughout all of the keynote speeches that we saw uh, in both industry and government, uh, as well as the numerous breakout sessions. Uh, in, indeed, and I want to dig uh, a little bit deeper uh, into that. But before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. And Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Jim, you know, you, you talked about the importance of allies uh, and, and partners. Certainly, um, you know, what's also interesting about this Sophic is it's the first time in more than 20 years that Iraq and Afghanistan are not focused uh, conflicts. Obviously, uh, American forces uh, engaged uh, around the world, special operators engaged around the world. And this transition to more of a great power mindset has been ongoing for a couple of years. I remember talking to uh, the uh, uh, SOCOM commander uh, last year or year before last where we talked about that uh, transition. Talk to us a little bit uh, about some of the messages about that great power uh, transformation, uh, that that you know, great power focus we're seeing, because this is a this is sort of a soft capability. It's sort of going more to the roots uh, of the Cold War when you started in, in this game, as opposed to the counterinsurgency force, right? How it's going to be working with conventional forces more broadly. What were some of the messages uh, from leadership uh, along those lines that we heard? Yes, well, Bago, uh, that, that's an incredibly uh, important uh, point and aspect of, of this uh, topic here in 2022. So, you know, as, as you know, uh, indus- industry heard directly uh, from General Rich Clark, the SOCOM commander. They heard directly from Mr. Jim Smith, the acquisition executive, and his deputy, Bill Ennis. Uh, government held sessions uh, with our small businesses that were here in attendance. They also held, uh, held separate sessions with our large uh, businesses here in attendance. Our government keynote speaker, Secretary Heidi Hsu, the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and in engineering talk specifically about how we must collaborate, not just with our partners, friends, and allies, but how we need to collaborate internally in the Department of Defense amongst the services, amongst our, our, our special operators, and that the name of the game is collaboration and jointness. Joint requirements are, are the requirements that are, are going to get funded. And, and Heidi Shu said that uh, in, in a couple different ways. So that was, that was one message uh, that came from government. Rich Clark talked about this, and this gets to your point, about the changing nature uh, in the way we, w- we need to think things and how we need to turn our focus from the counterterrorism fight to something much, much larger 
that we'll, we'll see in the in this era of great competition. But the big focus for SOCOM was big data. How do we utilize artificial intelligence, machine learning to manage big data so that our special operators don't have to? And so what, what's required to synthesize all this data that's going to be required in a big conflict against a great power? And how do you synchronize and integrate all these different weapons platforms, which have their own data? And how is that all managed uh, for the special operators? So big data was a focus of Rich Clark's discussion. And then I was able to moderate the panel with our theater special operations commands that are attached to the geographic combatant commands. And big data was one of their requirements as well. So data, data, data. How do you manage it? How do you take the technologies available machine learning and AI to make that process a little more fluid and, and useful to the, to the operator. You know, as, as you, as you mentioned, Jim, right. I mean, uh, you know, we heard from leadership uh, in terms of what they want, but we also got a very, very granular uh, look uh, from PEOs and program managers as well, right. Going to industry and saying, look, here are some of the hard problems we want to solve, whether it's for personal protection or for firepower or connectivity, what were some of the more nuanced, specific elements that the community wants industries help uh, to solve, whether it's on the body armor side of things or uh, the kinetics or the connectivity? Well, so Vago, you're right. So all of those breakout sessions with all of the uh, specific PEOs uh, that uh, fall all under the senior acquisition executive, uh, Jim Smith, uh, were, were there. All of, all of the, the normal uh, uh, issues that um, they, they wrestle with, where, whether it's, you know, command control and communication, whether it's, uh, it's soldier protection, whether it's ISR uh, requirements, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, any of those that you would, that we've seen in the past from our special operators. But, you know, Rich Clark uh, has stood up uh, a chief data officer position and has created a PEO position and a program manager to get after this, this data aspect uh, that he drilled down on during his remarks and had been a focal theme uh, of this conference. So again, uh, the overriding concern uh, was we have to, we have to sort out uh, the processes where we're gonna manage all this data that we know we're gonna have in front of us and how best to do that. So the standup of a chief data officer position and a separate PEO to get after managing digital data uh, was a highlight of the conference. Obviously, the community um, enjoyed enormous uh, budget support uh, during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, everybody understanding the centrality of special operations forces uh, to both of those conflicts and indeed continue to be engaged worldwide. The president deploying uh, several hundred more troops back to uh, Somalia uh, for the counterterrorism operations there. Um, is, is the support the budget support there, um, given how important special operations forces are going to be wherever uh, the United States operates uh, in the world. And again, right, no finer forces for that engagement relationship building, right? I mean, it's paying dividends right now in terms of the operational efficacy of Ukrainians, right? I mean, even if the United States isn't there uh, directly uh, and is providing that intelligence, that training, uh, that experience, those relationships continue. From, from your standpoint, is the community going to enjoy the budgetary support that it needs? 
Yes, absolutely. I know without knowing the, the actual specifics of uh, SOCOM's budget uh, numbers, I can tell you uh, that under Jim Smith's leadership, they've completely revamped and updated their soft acquisition practices based on all of the new legislation, authorities, and policies uh, that they've been given, and uh, the fact that Congress recently extended and expanded their pilot, their pilot to accelerate small business awards uh, by working through SoftWorks, the SoftWorks platform. And Jim Smith reported out that they've seen a 200% increase in small business participation. That's incredible. And a 60% decrease in the time to award. Now, whatever model that is uh, that Jim Smith and his team here are using at Special Operating Forces, we need to figure out, and I know Heidi Shue is all keen on this, and she's spoken with uh, Rich Clark and Jim Smith in her visit here, but she's really keen in how to translate that to the rest of the DOD. Let me ask you uh, one last uh, question. Um, your last assignment in uniform was as commander of U.S. Army Forces in Japan. From from a standpoint of uh, integration of special operations forces, right? I mean, as, as I mentioned, uh, in the Cold War, special operators were sort of off and separated from the rest of the force, uh, not as integrally integrated as we've seen in the last uh, uh, two decades in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere. Do you think that that's, this degree of integration will survive and continue to thrive? And what are, how are we making sure that we're doing that, uh, Jim, so that we don't have that sort of gradual separation, which is, you know, what has been the historic norm, right? It's the snake eating community and everybody else, not necessarily as an integrated community. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's community. great. Yeah, Vago, another great point. And I, and I would tend to agree with your assessment about where we were, you know, about 10 years ago. Or so uh, when I left uh, U.S. Army Japan in 2015, I'll tell you that 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 dynamic, uh, that culture uh, has, has made, a, I think, a 180 degree turn. So, you know, you hear about the, the five special operating forces truths. The, the first, of course, uh, which is a lot of focus, and that's that is humans are more important than hardware. I, was, I would add that our, our soldiers, our humans on the ground are more important than their hardware and maybe software. Not too long ago, a, a fifth truth was added uh, to that, that litany of soft truths. And, and it was this. It was that for special operating forces to succeed today, they must have the support of the conventional formation. They must have that support. And there has to be complete uh, transparency synchronization and integration of special operating forces and our conventional forces. Uh, and so what's important about this is that's the special operating force community saying this. That wasn't always the case a decade or a couple decades ago. It is clearly the case now. And uh, the commanding general here, Rich Clark, actually focused on that uh, on Tuesday when he gave his, his keynote. Uh, and let me ask, uh, we, we've got about uh, less than a minute left uh, very quickly about your takeaways um, from this Sophic and how you guys organized it. Obviously, still a focus on COVID to make sure you get it right. Folks had to be vaccinated to, to be there. And uh, there was, you know, testing and a whole bunch of other things. Talk to us about how you guys have pioneered this sort of hybrid event 
uh, to make it both rewarding for people who can't be there in person and want to get the most out of it, while at the same time also uh, getting the most out of it in person. Yeah, so Vago, so the trick here, you know, with, with Sophic uh, 2022 is you only have so much space, right? Uh, and the Tampa Convention Center is a wonderful facility, uh, but the space is the space. And our senior vice president, Christine Klein, did some remarkable things to utilize uh, and be really efficient and effective in the way we utilize the space here at the, at the Tampa Convention Center and uh, all of the uh, available space outside the Tampa Convention Center, as well as all the adjoining hotels. And so we were able uh, to place 585 exhibits here. Uh, that's, uh, that's an uptick of almost 100 additional exhibits. Of course, this is an international year. So over 100 country, countries involved, 60 major sponsors, and over 16,000, an historic record, over 16,000 attendees, uh, both government, uh, industry, and academia. We, we did a couple new things. We, as you mentioned, in terms of a hybrid event, we streamed all of the general session assemblies. Uh, so... If you weren't able to attend, you could see the general session assemblies virtually. And we also streamed those in to some overflow spaces because of the, the historic numbers that we had. We also had um, for our small businesses, the Ignite Pavilion at the JW Marriott, where all of our small businesses could be in one place. And it was a one-stop shop for SOCOM to go in and see what our small businesses businesses were doing in terms of technology and capabilities. We also had an opportunity for industry uh, to go to what we called soft select at the Weston hotel. And that gave our industry uh, partners a chance to look at what the soft operators were doing uh, with their equipment to get a better sense for, for what their requirements might be. So incredible event, uh, virtual hybrid, uh, expansion of exhibit space, uh, utilizing our, our hotel uh, facilities as well. Uh, and of course, another incredible international special operating forces demonstration uh, uh, yesterday afternoon. Jim, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to uh, having you back on again uh, in the future. And congratulations for pulling off a tremendous show uh, at a difficult time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, my friend. Have a great week. And a word from our sponsors. HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's annual Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show, and Bell sponsored our coverage of the Army Aviation Association of America's annual symposium. And joining us now are Alistair Wilson, the Strategy Sales and Marketing Director at JFD, an innovative British company that is one of the world's leading suppliers of special operations delivery vehicles, diving and submarine rescue equipment, and Jim Emmert, a former United States Navy SEAL who now heads the company's U.S. operations. Uh, guys, uh, welcome on the program, and I hope you guys have been having a tremendous sophic so far. Thanks so much, Vago. Great to be with you. Great to be with you as well today, Vago. Indeed, and, and wish I was there in sunny Tampa uh, with you guys. 
Alistair, as some of our audience will remember, JFD was born in 2014 with the merger of James Fisher Defense and Divex. Uh, and I recall being with you guys uh, in London at DSCI soon after the merger. Uh, you guys have since locked a number of other acquisitions to try to grow your capabilities. Um, the special operations community has been getting back to its great power roots after more than two decades in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, still engaged in those conflicts, uh, but transitioning back to a more Cold War footing. What does this shift mean? for JFD and, and uh, you know, because it is a rather fundamental shift uh, in the market. Thanks. Thanks, Fargo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey for JFD. Principally, we started from the roots of uh, a sort of life rescue, life, uh, a life support set of capabilities with our submarine escape and rescue capability. And through Divex, all of our uh, rebreather, um, saturation diving, uh, life support capabilities. But we've also, that's led the journey also to looking at the underwater uh, domain as a widest sort of set and seeing that we were leading towards capability offerings in mobility platforms, as well as life support and pulling those things together uh, has really positioned us now uh, with the tactical diving vehicle sets, uh, as well as the life support equipment that goes with it. Um, that's, that's the journey that we sort of started back in 2014 with the acquisition uh, of DCE in Sweden with their their large carrier seal vehicle, um, and more recently with with Ortega with the Shadow Seal, giving us uh, a, a, an expansion of that capability with a smaller, stealthy, uh, four seater version of the of a tactical diving vehicle. So we really blend out those complements of, of capability and what we're what we're seeing and realizing now with the uh, mobilization mobilization efforts that uh, that Jim can talk more about in terms of the. The sort of hyper-enabled operator, uh, the mobility solutions that, that give a wider range of tool sets. Um, we want to continue that journey, of course, in in, in enhancing the innovations that we're we're trying to bring to the to the user group. Just so people think, I'm not your marketing agent on this, but it is an extraordinarily clever idea. Originally a Swedish concept, 30-foot craft able to carry a travel at 30 knots on the surface, uh, operate with decks awash uh, or completely uh, submerged, which would appear to be the kind of capability that we want for more distributed, higher uh, speed operations. Jim, you spent 25 years as an operator. You started your career in the Cold War. Uh, you're uh, a, a driver, a delivery vehicle driver. Talk to us about how the game is changing and how that's driving different needs in your former community and how you can open the aperture of the of the community to kind of what it is you guys have to uh, offer. But first, you know, give us your the sense on, on how it's changing and how it's actually getting back to the roots uh, of the service as it was when you joined it. Sure, Vago. Thank, thanks very much for that question. Um, as you sort of uh, outlined, we are coming off of 20 to 25 years of counter-terrorism, violent extreme organizations, and, and those conflicts tended to uh, center mostly um, on areas like the Mideast, uh, small, small locations, small teams. Uh, but, but I think also the, the learning curve over the last 20 years has taught us that as, as capable as special operations are, most of the times we are really ultimately successful when we can incorporate the use of uh, conventional forces as well. And, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria are, are full of cases where the integration of special operations with conventional forces really uh, push things over into the wind category significantly. As we transition to great power conflict, I think that's preparing us pretty well. Uh, because if you think about larger conflict areas, you know, everybody wants to refer to China, North Korea, Iran, Russia, uh, more of a peer type of environment. I think the pairing of those assets together and those capabilities 
together will absolutely give us the advantage that we're looking for. Uh, you know, one of the soft truths for the U.S. Special Operations Forces is that most uh, special operations involve the use of non-special operations forces as enablers or combat multipliers or those sorts of things. Um, in the maritime domain, uh, the U.S. submarine community is making a huge investment uh, in, in large platform development, new, uh, new submarines, et cetera. And that area of the world, I wouldn't say it's one that is atrophied significantly, but uh, there is a requirement now to sort of have a, a renaissance or a reawakening of what's going on to, to dominate the maritime environment and to have that be part of integrated uh, deterrence and defense. So I think the, the special operations maritime part plays a huge role in that moving forward. Um, I'll stop there and, and see if, uh, you know, maybe going into a little bit about our, our JFD's capabilities would help or see if that uh, helps. Well, that's exactly where I was going to try to take this, right? I mean, you guys have a, a number of innovative products. I think uh, your Torpedo tube launched uh, chariot reminiscent of World War II, but is an enabling capability that can go on any uh, ship. Um, uh, much smaller uh, units, more uh, distributed. Um, Jim, talk to me a little bit about how you overcome sort of the national bias, if you will, uh, right? Sure. I mean, the community <laughs> can be remarkably open to uh, ideas from abroad, as we saw with the Draeger or a number of other innovations, uh, certainly when it comes to weaponry. Uh, on the other hand, can be somewhat more conservative about sort of sticking with what it knows. Uh, I'm not saying the new swimmer delivery vehicle is your uh, dad swimmer or your swimmer delivery vehicle, not to date you. Uh, you know, what, what does it take to sort of open that aperture and, and get these good ideas, you know, folks to notice maybe good ideas that they've tended to overlook? I mean, I, I was at, at that DSCI when you guys were putting the carrier seal uh, uh, on display for the first time. I remember being with American operators who thought, oh, yeah, that would be terrific, but we're never going to buy it. Why not? Sure, but well, that's a great way to phrase that because uh, when I was first exposed to JFD products, I was uh, I had finished up uh, four years as a civilian at the NATO Special Operations Headquarters, and somebody said, "Hey, you need to take a look at this." And it was a uh, some video of Carrier Seal, and the first thing I said was, "Boy, oh boy, if I could get back in the wayback machine twenty five years, I wish I had had something like that." And so. Um, you're correct that you know sometimes the community can be a little bit parochial, but I would tell you that after the last 15 to 20 years, we are much more integrated at an international level. And so that cross-pollinization or distribution of good ideas and capability, those are proliferating a lot faster than they did in the past. And, and, and if I drill down a little bit into the maritime world, um, you know, the, the U.S. model for most of uh, strategic subsurface types of special operations involves the dry deck shelter and a sealed delivery vehicle and the incorporation of all that into a large host submarine. But, but the realities of that are that there are a very few number of those submarines that are configured. Um, and although that's a wonderful strategic mission and is absolutely important in its own right, I think where we're looking today is with the proliferation of other joint task forces globally and the need to have those things on a more ready basis, we need to add a little operational depth and flexibility to the maritime domain toolbox or quiver of arrows, whatever metaphor you might like to use. Adding some depth of capability is really what's important to the community. And the community is doing a better job of allowing things to sort of germinate at a grassroots level and come up through the uh, uh, come up through the 
areas of information and uh, exposure so that decision makers can make better decisions with regard to where to put a specific resource. If, if we have time here, I, I can give you a couple of examples that we're pursuing uh, that'll give us- Sure. A, uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm, very, I'm very interested in that, in that um, for example, right, uh, the um, one of the vehicles you have is 21-inch torpedo tube capable, and that is an aperture opening capability, uh, for example, uh, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and, and uh, the Royal Navy uh, is operating them, right? So that's another nuclear submarine force. I know that, you know, the, there's a, a lot of submarine force requirements that go on what you guys do uh, when, when you guys are on the boats. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of those opportunities that you see out there. Sure. Um, something like our torpedo seal is a, is a capable platform, um, it, but it is one of a family of capabilities. And, and you know, the, the analogy I, I give to folks is we, we don't just have one type of attack helicopter or rotary wing asset. We've got small attack helicopters. We've got medium lift helicopter. We've, we've got large helicopters. We've got helicopters that can refuel in flight and those that can't. And so having, I think, a broad range of maritime capability that can be integrated into a large uh, submarine host platform is important, but also having uh, assets that don't necessarily need uh, to integrate into a sub uh, submarine platform, or maybe some that even can't or are not good candidates for that because of size or because they might employ internal combustion engine technology, uh, those sorts of things. It, it, to me, it's the, the secret is providing a bit of a balanced approach to that. Something small like a torpedo seal for two men uh, or two operators that probably is going to go one way uh, and drop folks off, or something like our carrier seal, which has uh, quite an, an impressive surface transit range when it's operating off as its diesel engines, and then a, uh, an impressive sub, submerged range where it can then do its business completely undetected, or somewhere in the middle, it might be just right, and that's our shadow seal offering, where it's all electric, has impressive both surface and subsurface ranges, um, is very stealthy, easy to move around, and, and can be incorporated and, and integrated really into a larger naval order of battle. And so, you know, we think we've got the ability to play in a, in a number of those of those sectors effectively, and and that's to me is kind of encouraging because not every uh, special operation mission that requires subsea mobility necessarily requires uh, a sealed delivery vehicle to be launched off of a large submarine with an incorporated dry deck shelter. Um, that may not be the best choice. The submarine may not be geographically relevant or it might not be the right fit for capability. And I think we help round that out again by getting my theme is uh, increased to operational uh, flexibility and increased capability to the warfighter. And so that's what we're chipping away at in the maritime world. Uh, anybody who knows the community knows, you know, you don't care how you get there. You guys come off of big deck amphibs occasionally. You go by uh, MH47, whether it's swift boat delivery. We've seen that in movies, but also in reality, uh, right? I mean, ultimately, it's about how we get, you, you know, it's, it's not how you get there. It's that we get you there. That's a good point, Vago. The, the, but I would complicate your situation just a little bit. And that when you when you discuss getting somebody there undetected in a maritime environment because of the proliferation of really competent and and well uh, functioning surface radars, you got to get people underneath the surface of the water, and then right. you have to worry about life support. So when you're riding in a vehicle, or you're riding in a helicopter, or an airplane, or uh, even jumping from a parachute if it's not too high, you really don't have to worry about your breathing medium. That kind of takes care of itself, but things underwater become a lot more complicated. And that's where I think actually some of the pairing 
of the tactical diving mobility platforms with very, very well-functioning life support system that allows the operator to concentrate uh, on the objective at hand instead of, oh my gosh, is my life support system going to work? Uh, you know, that's where we are delivering the hyper-enabled operator. So uh, you know, you, what you'll hear US SOCOM talk about is diminishing cognitive overload. So you know, back in the days when I was driving an SDV, you paid a lot of attention to your life support system in addition to everything else. And with the increase in, in ranges and number of excursions and all these other things going on, it's really easy to get overloaded. And so having a great mobility platform paired with a life support system that is proven, that is innovative, and that allows the operator to concentrate on the task at hand when they get there, I think is an equally important part of, of what we offer. Look, I just have to say that it's 2022 and I'm surprised. I'm still stunned that we don't have some dry delivery system ultimately for you guys. I know we tried that. It was a billion dollar failure. I don't want to resuscitate bad memories uh, in that. Alistair, I'm going to go to you. One, about less than a minute left. Um, you guys are constantly investing for the future. Um, as you saw, the Carrier Seal was one of those products. It was a Swedish product. You guys acquired it and have invested in it and are bringing it to the market. As you you know, where are you investing for for the future? Because um, you guys always like to be a little bit ahead of your customers, sometimes a little too ahead of your customer, but ultimately stay ahead of your 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 customers. Where is it you guys are going to be putting your investment? Well, you just, I mean, you just mentioned um, it would be nice to get people dry somewhere. There is obviously uh, dry combat submersible as a program, um, but of course we make we make submarines, um, and we also make mating submarines in our in our DSRV, which is the uh, the submarine rescue capability that we have, um, which provides an awful lot of, of uh, proven, uh, proven engineered excellence and, and experience um, in, in, underwater, in the underwater domain in a dry context. But, but thinking about that more in a combat, uh, combat environment, combat role, of course, uh, that requires uh, you know, more stealthy propulsion and all that sort of stuff. So uh, very much uh, coupling and developing in the, in the domains we're talking about, you know, there's, Certainly, the, the the next generations of of diving apparatus, so the the life support system approach for uh, excursion rigs, because the the TDVs themselves are, are pushing the boundaries of the of the possibilities of of how far and long you need to be underwater for. So so extending, uh, looking at different scrubbing technologies, looking at uh, the protection of life in terms of uh, all of those uh, uh, bioengineering uh, applications for measuring core temp and, and things like that whilst whilst diving being able to communicate that both to the to the diver um and and the, and the unit themselves so you can monitor the the, the health of of, of, of uh, and performance of, of the individuals um there's, there's 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 a lot to go on about here um but you can you can probably hopefully appreciate the um the space that we're we're very much into is 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 continuing the journey that we've started um we feel as a there's a bit of a momentum shift. Um, and in the context of North America, we've established JFD North America, um, and we want to be able to present those capabilities uh, as much as if they were American uh, as, as we can. Uh, and that requires us both to partner uh, and grow our organization here. So hopefully if we, if we wind the clock forwards, uh, you'll be both hearing about new innovations. So we're, we're going through organizations like Softworks, uh, uh, which which is a way of us introducing technology um, and foreign comparative testing uh, to be able to get those technologies in the hands of the right people, hopefully, and evaluated 
Um, and we, we have developed partnerships here that are starting to, to sort of take us on a journey that, that will, will hopefully bear fruit. So uh, people like Blue Tide Marine um, here in Florida, um, Delphinus uh, as another good uh, capability organization who've got subsafe certification. Um, so all of these partnerships are really such that we can, we maybe not front a, front a, a, a new program, but we'll, we'll be playing a, a big role hopefully in, uh, in being able to bring this capability and make it in a made in America sense as well. Guys, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Fairwinds following seas and look forward to uh, staying in touch uh, on your journey. All the best to the both of you. Thanks so much, Vargo. Thanks again, Vago. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.